Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel. And I'm Jake. And we're We're so bored. bored. The podcast where each episode we take a close look at a tabletop game to help answer the question, will this cure our boredom? That's right. We look at the mechanics, complexity, replayability in a game to determine if it's the perfect alternative to, say, teaching your grandma how to use her cell phone for the third time this week. (laughs) This episode, we are taking a look at Settlers of Catan. So Catan, or Settlers of Catan, is a pretty simple empire building game. Basically, the objective of the game is for... One to four players, or if you have the expansion that it allows you to have five to six players. But for a certain number of people to come in and settle little little towns, build it up to cities, build roads to connect your, your cities and your towns, and basically gathering resources from the land to be able to do these things and ultimately eventually get yourself to 10 victory points. So the setup of the game is kind of this hexagonal board that you build out of these hexagonal tiles that all kind of fit together in within this like border shell. Each of those tiles has a specific type of resource on it. So there is wood, sheep, brick, wheat, stone, or stone Stone or or ore. And each of those hexagons has a number that is placed on it. Each each time you play the game, the the layout of the board and the numbers that are placed on it is different. And we'll get a little bit more into that later. And the way that you, you get these victory points is you gather resources by a simple dice rolling. It doesn't matter whose turn it is who rolls the dice, everybody is able to collect resources. You then spend those resources only on your turn to build the roads, build the settlements, or upgrade your cities. Or you can buy development cards, which is something we'll talk a little bit about later. You have to roll on the dice the number that is placed on that resource. And you have to have a settlement on the corner kind of overlapping one of those resources that has that number on it in order to gather. Uh, And then another, another way that you can get victory points is through the development cards, which we briefly mentioned. The development cards are, they're a mixture of cards that grant you one victory point or knights which allow you to move a robber and build up your army and build up your army so the person with the largest army three or more knights gets an additional two victory points there's some other cards in the development there's deck. there are some event cards things that let you build a road build roads for free uh, there's a monopoly card that lets you take all of one resources mm-hmm. from all the other players and then there's one that allows you to i think gain any resource that you want up to three, I think, from the the bank. There's a bounty card in there that lets you um, yeah. harvest. Those are pretty rare, I would say. They uh, are. The, the deck is mostly comprised of knights. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about our experience playing the game. For me, this game has kind of a special place in my heart because it, I would say, is really the game that kind of got me more into board gaming. It, it's what made me realize that the... There is more out there than just, like, Yahtzee and Monopoly. Uh, Nothing against those games, just, you know, I I, I like to experience different things. You know, shout out to my sister Krista, who bought this board game and and invited me to come over and play, and it it just kind of triggered 
this whole hobby for me. So like I said, it kind of has a special place in my heart. I've played it a ton over the years. I would say that generally I'm interested in playing a lot of other games now. This wouldn't be the first game that I would go to just because I've played it so much in my past but I think it's a great way to get into the board gaming hobby. It's not too difficult or complicated to understand. It's easy, you know, for someone new, new to board gaming to pick up and grasp. I've even played it with my mom. You've played this with your mom? I, I have. I've, How I, did that go? I remember playing one game with my mom. Um, the only thing that I remember from that game, uh, my mom is from Germany. She's German. The only thing I remember was her asking or. What, what is that word? She had never heard of this word or. O-R-E. And it was just because she had never needed to learn this word in English. She had never had a need to use it. She, of course she knew what the concept was and she knew the word in German. It, it, that's the only thing I remember from that game is that she didn't know what or was. Lots of love to my mom if you're listening. It, it was a lot of fun playing with you. Uh, I kind of have a similar experience. A friend of mine who, he lived across the street from me for many years, he got this game and we just played so much, so many times. It's a fun game, I do love it, but I'm kind of in the similar situation of that I've played this so many times, this would not be the first board game I would choose. But, that being said, it's, it's very solid gameplay, it's very entertaining, it's a very well designed game. This is one of the games that got me into board game uh, or tabletop gaming as well. A lot of times when it comes to board games like this that don't really have a story, I have a lot of fun just kind of making up a story that's going on that, that matches the events that are happening. And for Catan, uh, you have the options to trade uh, certain resources. If you have an abundance of sheep, but you really need wood to build roads. You have the ability to trade at like four to one, three to one, maybe two to one, depending on the ports that you have. But uh, you have the ability to trade these sheep for that other resource. But when you're playing the game, you don't actually like, okay, I'm gonna give four sheep to the bank and then I'm gonna take the wood and now I'm gonna give the wood back to the bank to build this road, right? It's just, here's four sheep, I'm building a road. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the story that I kind of come up with this is like, oh yeah, we're like grinding up the sheep and we're building this road or, you know, whatever resource it is that you have an abundance of, you, you know, my, my road is made of wheat. Oh, how strange. It's, um, a, good, it's a good road. Yeah. <laughs> It always adds just a little bit of fun for me to just kind of add these little story elements. And I do that a lot. You, if you listen to future episodes, you'll hear other games where I do that. And I just kind of make up things. See, I didn't know that. So now I'll have to pay attention to other games that you're making these for. Oh, yeah, I especially do it with Stone Age. Mmm, Stone Age. Okay. Talked a bit about the base game. Now we're going to talk about the expansion. So there are four expansions. There is a seafarers, cities and knights, traders and barbarians, and explorers and pirates. You can play these with the base game alone, just for example, uh, the base game in seafarers or the base game in traders and barbarians, or you can actually combine them together. There's many different combination, uh, possible combinations that you can 
you can combine the expansions and play them all together to create unique scenarios. Yes. Uh, so if you have all of the games, you can bring the different rule sets together and kind of come up with a new unique experience that was... I don't want to say never intended because it is it is on their website that you can do this. You can come up with you know different unique scenarios that are unlocked by just having all these different expansions. And that I mean, with the new expansions and the new added mechanics, it adds a new level of strategy or gameplay to the core game, which in and in and of itself can be very strategic. I mean, I know that there are competitions where people go and play this game. That same friend that I mentioned earlier, he's actually been to several competitions and played this game. So we're going to talk briefly about one or two of these expansions. We're not going to go into super detail about these, but we're going to give you just a, a little bit of our experience on them. So I know that I've played Seafarers, and Seafarers, it, you have the that hexagonal uh, map that we talked about originally, but then you add a bunch of ocean tiles around it that's unexplored territory that also have kind of archipelago-ish uh, islands that are hidden within it. Uh, so as you go and explore these areas, you can find new islands that produce the same resources as before. These islands may produce these resources more abundantly or on different die rolls to allow you to collect them more often. Yeah, and I did have a chance to play this expansion at one point. This was probably years ago with my sister. Something you said just reminded me of that. I remember you are kind of discovering things as you go. They simulate the fog of war by having you not fill out the entire map ahead of time like you would normally in, in the regular game. So only certain things are visible and then you draw tiles at random to start filling out the rest of the world as you explore, which is pretty cool, I think. I really like it. It's a very interesting mechanic to add to the game. And I personally feel that it is definitely worth picking up if you're interested in expanding this game. Yeah. One of the other expansions is the Traders and Barbarians. So again, this is an expansion that I had a chance to play myself several years ago. The thing about this expansion is it introduces different scenarios. So it essentially changes the game play mechanics or the victory conditions uh, from game to game by choosing different scenarios. And I particularly remember the Fisherman of Catan scenario where there are these fisheries kind of at the edge of the map where you can go and, and get this, I'll say quote-unquote resource. They're not resources like the others with cards and they don't count against your hand limit and stuff like that, but you can essentially use them to purchase additional things. You can move the robber or choose to trade it in for you know, building a road or getting specific resources or stealing from other players and stuff like that. And the way that you do this is you've got basically like a little pool of fish that you're supposed to draw from whenever you go and collect that resource. And there's a, an old shoe in there that you can accidentally get as well. And while you have the old shoe that increases your victory points needed, so normally you would need 10, now this adds one and makes it 11 as long as you have the old shoe. But if you don't have the most victory points, you can actually give the old shoe to someone else who has the same now amount of victory points or more than you. And so that it, you know, it gets passed around basically to the person who is winning and it makes it a little bit more difficult for them and makes it so that you can catch up. Hmm. 
Yeah, so this is one that I personally have not played, but I would be interested in playing. Yeah, I think that all of the expansions have a lot to add in terms of replayability and just kind of making it different and a little bit more interesting. Now, that being said, if you were interested in picking up all the expansions for this and making them a 5-6 to six player game, this is going to be a little expensive. According to the website, this is going to cost you $422 plus tax and shipping and handling. This also does not include three scenario packs that they've released. One of the scenarios I know is called Crop Trust. So every time you roll the dice in the game and are able to collect, you need to be able to balance that because if you take too much of the available crop, you'll actually go extinct from what I understand. I've not personally played it. But it's a it's a balancing game between keeping your environment healthy, but also being able to take what you need. Oh, so it's like a sustainability. Yes, exactly. That's so cool. if you take too much, your food supply collapses and you fail. That's interesting. So yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of stuff that you can add to the game. It does add up in price, though. It does add up in price, but the more that you spend on this game, the more replayability it has, I believe. All right, so we're, we're going to go into our rating system now. Since this is the first episode, we're going to go into a little bit more detail, kind of explaining these and, and how they're meant to be used. And then hopefully over time, it becomes something that's just more naturally understood. Our first rating is easy versus difficult. How would you explain that? Easy versus difficult to me is how easy is it for a player to take their turn? or to execute their actions on their turn. What is it that you have to understand in order to play the game? For example, in checkers, you have to understand that your pieces stay on this color and they move in this way. That's your turn. It's a very easy game to understand. Yeah, so I, I think this really goes back to just the rules and the mechanics. Mm -hmm. So yes, checkers, I would definitely agree, is a very easy game to understand. There is a limited number of rules. It's unlikely that you're going to have to go back and like look at the rule book at any point in time to make sure you're playing correctly. Right. You have, you've got like two different types of pieces and you have five rules in checkers and that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a very difficult game would require you to be constantly looking back at the rule book, maybe just unclear on how the game is supposed to be played. So that's not necessarily that the mechanics are actually difficult, but it might be that the, the rule book is not written well mm -hmm. and, and understood well. Mm-hmm. So, would you say Catan is an easy or difficult game? I would say it's a pretty easy game. As far as the rules go, there's not much that you have to go back and look up once it's explained. There's a limited number of things you can do on your turn. And not, not to mention that you have a card in front of you that tells you what you can do on your turn. What mm -hmm. you need to spend to create or build specific items. Yeah, I definitely agree. Definitely an easier game. And that's one of the reasons, like I said, that this this was the game that kind of got both of us into board gaming more. It was a really good introduction. It was easy to pick up. And, you know, we, uh, Jake and I, went back and we played this recently. And I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he, he doesn't want to talk about it because I won. Kind of, like, slaughtered him. But... Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> 
But I was going to say that Jake and I went back and we played this recently, and I think the only reason that we had to look at the rule book was we were unsure of the two-player rules. We have always played this game with three or four people, and so we were unsure of any rule changes for two players. But having both of us not played it for a couple of years, we were able to get back in and pick it up, and we remembered how to play the game. Right. It was very, very simple to pick back up. Yeah. Our second category is simple versus complex. Now, this might get confusing with easy versus difficult. It might sound like those are the same thing. What we're going for with simple versus complex is the level of strategy that you can bring to the game. So difficult versus easy is about the rules and the mechanics. And then simple versus complex is about how many different ways can you win? Are there different viable strategies for playing this game? For example, chess would be a fairly easy game to pick up. You only have, I think, six pl- six pieces. And once you understand how they move, that's it. That That's pretty much it. Those are it. the rules. Those are the rules. But it's a very complex game in the fact that there's so much strategy that can go into it that I don't even know where to begin, honestly, because I'm not, uh, I'm not a chess master. So <laughs> Right. Obviously, there are world champions and, like, crazy news articles about the first computer that could beat a human at chess and things like that. So it, it is an extremely complex game. I mean, there are books, like hundreds of books written about just how to play this game. So right. it's a complex game, but it's easy to understand the rules. Right. Okay. So would you describe Settlers of Catan as simple or complex? Um, I would say it's more towards the complex side, only because there's so much statistical analysis that, need, that, that can be applied to this game. With each tile being assigned a random location, as well as a random dice roll, you need to be able to look at the board and figure out not only what am, what am I going to be able to get most out of this, but then how am I going to use that? You have to be able to look at the resources, where they're at, and the number tile associated with them for the dice roll, and see what you are going to be able to collect, predict what you're going to be able to collect, and how often you're going to be able to collect it. But then you also have this element of randomness that you can't control, which is the dice roll. Now, statistics tells you that these certain dice rolls are are more likely to be rolled, like a 7, like a 6, like a 9, like a 5, 8. These things are more likely to be rolled, but just because they are more statistically probable doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah. And so this this is what always kind of comes in and, and ruins my game, right? So the numbers six and eight are, are highlighted on the tokens. Seven is not a valid role that'll get you a resource. That's what allows you to move the robber around. And seven is statistically the most likely number that you'll get just because when you're rolling two dice, they're the most number combinations that you can get that add up to seven. Correct. So outside of that, the ones that are valid for obtaining resources, it's six and eight that are the most common, quote unquote, the most likely to occur. You know, you can build a strategy around, oh, hey, I'm going to place my settlements and I'm going to make sure that I'm on the this six and, and this eight uh, whenever possible and I should be golden. I'll get all these resources. But that's never how my game goes. No. Uh, I, I've, I've actually found that I statistically get more fives. I don't know if my dice are slightly off. That, that's always actually kind of a joke that I make during the game is I, I 
you know, when things aren't going my way, I start to shout, these dice are weighted! Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a thing that I say when I'm getting frustrated with it. And so this, this game, I think, once again, is a complex game because you have to look at that. But then also there are multiple ways that you can meet the win condition. Well, with the longest road giving you two victory points, the largest army giving you two victory points, or you could just make as many settlements and cities as possible. Mm -hmm. But the best is probably a combination of all of them. But in order to do all those things, you have to, once again, get those resources one way or another. Right. I would say that this is kind of middle of the road. Like, if I had to put this on a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being the most complex game ever, I would say this is probably a 4, I guess. Um, 4? Yeah, so, I mean, there is that statistical analysis, but like you said, that doesn't necessarily determine what's actually going to happen, right? That's so right. So you can, you can go into the game with that strategy. That doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. When we're talking about, like, actually winning the game, I feel like there's only really two strategies. There's basically dumping your resources into development cards... Or the traditional way would be to kind of build up your cities, build up your, your settlements and your roads, and, and kind of expand. So I feel like there's really only those two strategies to the game if we're talking about the base game. I, w I would personally, if I was going to rate it on 1 to 10, I would give it a 6. Okay. I would give it a 6. More towards the complex. I mean, it's not, it's not chess. But it is definitely, there is definitely a level of complexity that can be applied to this game that... Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe maybe that's right because, there, like you said, there are tournaments of this. You know, it is a nationally recognized thing, so it, it must be complex enough to meet those, you know, requirements. Our next category is Rote versus Random. What game mechanics make each play a unique experience? So this is a pretty random game, I think, because we, we talked briefly about it, the dice rolling. Just because you are more likely to roll a 6 or an 8 doesn't mean it's going to happen, right? That is completely random. I've, I've played games where we roll an 11, a 12, and a 3 four or five times in a row. Mm -hmm. before we get any of the, the cards or the numbers that are actually more statistically likely. These dice are weighted! Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, the tile placement, the number value assigned to the tiles. Uh, they're all distributed randomly. So you could have all of the most statistically likely rolls be on a single resource. resource type, and everything else is just so scarce. And if you happen to be on those and get those resources, then you control the board. That's true. So yeah, I, I agree. There's a decent amount of randomness in this game. And it can actually, for me, it adds a little frustration sometimes. I think there is, like, if you look at the rule book, there is a, a way that they could recommend setting it up for very first time players or mm -hmm. something that makes it a little more balanced. But if you, you know, most people, I think, play with the, the random placement. And like Jake said, if all of the, the statistically high chance numbers are on a single resource, it, it just creates this scarcity mm -hmm. uh, of everything else and makes it, you know, so that you have turns where people are just going around the board, rolling, nobody gets anything. Rolling, nobody gets anything. And it, it becomes a little frustrating. See, I don't mind that. And I guess it comes, I, I don't know, I, I, it may be the way that I play games or look at games when I play them. 
if I'm not getting anything, it's okay as long as nobody else is getting anything. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know what that says about me, but you know what? In a, in a board game, if, if I'm not advancing, it's okay as long as nobody else is too. I guess. It just, uh, too long of that. I, I, I get a little bored. I need a little more action going on sometimes. Um, so we, that's the mechanics that are randomized. We also have the human interaction in this game that can be randomized as well. In this game, you have the ability to trade with each other on your turn. So if I needed a wood and I had a wheat and Rachel needed a wheat and would be willing to trade me a wood, I can offer it. She can either choose to decline or she can accept and we can each get what we need. Uh, that's pretty much it as far as the rules go. There's no one-to-one rule, two-to-one, three-to-one. If she wants, she can gouge me mm. and she can say, no, my my one resource is worth three of yours if you're willing to trade it. And if I am, I'm, I'll do it. These human interactions can also be, I, I feel, affected by the mechanics that are randomized, the tile placement, the number of mm-hmm. resources that are being distributed that changes with each game. If everybody's getting wood, somebody might not care if they trade you one. But if nobody's getting wood, except for one person, they're not going to want to trade that person. Right, they're not going to want to just give away one wood, yeah. right? They're going to be, they're going to try and gouge you. They're going to gouge you. That would be the you. smart thing to do. I think that this can also be kind of randomized based on who you play with mm-hmm. or what kind of mood they're in when you play with them, right? Each You could play the same game with the same people and have different experiences. If somebody got a bug up their butt and decided that they're after you and they're going to make your life living hell. Welcome to my life. They they can do that. And so the robber movement is also one of those kind of randomized human actions. You move the robber to block somebody else's number to prevent them from receiving that resource, and it also allows you to steal a card from their hand. And I don't know, that's one of the other things that I can have fun with, but at the same time, like, I just, I don't enjoy playing with people like that who are very discriminatory towards a single person and, like, I've targeted you, I've got you in my my line of sight, and so, I don't know. Those type of games, I think this applies with, like, Munchkin, too, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. Those type of games, I'm kind of pickier about the people that I play with. Yeah, I don't, I don't play Munchkin anymore because it always ends in a fight. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we have done a pretty decent deep dive into the Settlers of Catan. It's time to answer our question. You know, does it cure your boredom? Would you do this over teaching your grandma how to use her cell phone for the third time this week? Uh, Yes, definitely. (laughs) I agree. I wouldn't play it over and over and over. Um, but if it's one game of Catan versus teaching grandma for the third time, uh, yeah, I'll definitely sit down and play a game of Catan with you. And there you have it, Settlers of Catan. Please connect with us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at So Bored Podcast. That's spelled S-O-B-O-A-R-D Podcast. There you'll find pictures and short stories of games we've played receive notifications of new episodes, and interact with us about all things tabletop gaming. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.